welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, here again with Freya Spence, and today we're going to have a little discussion about why our bodies and our habits tend to change or feel a little bit differently in the winter. So this podcast is essentially uh, Winter Health Part 2. If you missed Part 1, Part 1 was with Dr. Sue and Dr. Donna. We're picking up where we left off with that and discussing a little bit more about the body changes that we see structurally and then also nutritionally with our clients. Exactly. So we will start by going over a few of the things that happen with the human body to start. And then at the end of the podcast, we'll get into the nutrition stuff. So Freya is probably going to speak a little bit more at the beginning. That's her scope is really the movement realm. I'm going to stay in my lane and really talk more about the nutrition at the end. And we hope to have some great uh, takeaway points for you guys today. So the reason we decided to do this is we see some really common themes cropping up just about every single winter and everybody has a different body history so whatever their bodies have been through throughout their life whether sports and injuries or different life circumstances will obviously contribute to how their body expresses movement but there are some common themes that everybody is exposed to in the winter one of the biggest complaints we see is stiffness throughout the hips and low back in particular some of this is as a result of less overall movement so there's less ambulation in cold weather people are less likely to just walk down the street to go get something they are more likely to drive there or ttc there and this just means more additive sitting throughout the day so there's more sitting whether at a desk in a car or lounging than perhaps we see in the warmer months where people are okay to take that little extra walk that said there's also the contribution of the weather. So on days that it's icy out, we just had a quote unquote ice storm. I say quote unquote, because I'm sure some parts of the city got it. We're close to the lake. So we just got 24 hours of rain. And I was actually up a little bit north of the city and this morning had to scrape off about a quarter inch of ice off of the car. Couldn't even open the doors at first. I was afraid I was going to rip the handle right off the door. So that was my morning movement. Yeah, you need healthy shoulders and a good balance system not to wipe out. So when we take into consideration slick surfaces, I know this sounds quite obvious once you think about it, but people take shorter strides. They take shorter strides so they're not moving quite as freely at the hip. And then we're also adding in tension to hold our balance. We have enough of these days that we do actually see a difference. If it was just one day here and there, you probably wouldn't notice much. But we see a change in our population of clients where they aren't able to walk as much or they are not thinking to walk as much. But then when they do and they're walking on slick surfaces, we see a lot more hip and low back tension. So it's something to be aware of. It's definitely something we encourage people do. So bring attention to getting out and going for really short walks. I don't like the cold at all, but I will still make an effort to do smaller chunks of walking uh, during the colder days as opposed to in the summertime when it's really easy to go for a longer walk. If you break it up into five to ten minute chunks, you still get those little movement snacks in. You're still keeping your hips and your low back a little bit happier throughout the winter. Another main contributor to low back and hip tension is actually the weight of people's boots. So if they're wearing boots that are either quite heavy or quite tight, these are things that can 
dramatically impact the foot, which we'll get to in a second, but they also contribute to the hip and low back. I was just speaking to a client the other day about walking around with ankle weights as a kid because we thought it was really funny. (laughs) So we'd walk around with an ankle weight on one leg and eventually you'd get used to it. Your nervous system would adapt and then you'd take it off and you every step you took that leg would just fly up with our boots we are obviously accustomed to having to wear these in the winter. So there's no problem with that, but it is important to be aware your hips are doing a lot more work lugging them around. So there's no antidote to this. I'm not telling you to go out in the snow barefoot, although some people might be uh, willing to do that. Spend more time at home barefoot. Spend more time in flats at work if you can. Switch out into a lighter pair of shoes. Anything like that will contribute to less time spent with weights on your feet. This brings us to our next point though. Ankles and feet are an area that people express a lot of uh, rigidity through the winter. And sometimes that can be felt at the knees, at the hips, at the low back, or in the ankle proper. We call boots and shoes foot coffins as a bit of a joke. It's a bit of tongue in cheek. But in truth, if you're always keeping your foot bound in a relatively rigid, heavy and tight piece of footwear. And by tight, I don't mean that they don't fit you lengthwise. But a lot of the shoe companies here create boots that have narrower forefoot boxes. Way too narrow. So there are a few companies out there that provide a wider Toe box, Vivo Barefoot's one of them. Lems is another one. Zero Shoes are another one. And they just provide a little bit more breathing room for your feet. So it does improve circulation. But more importantly, it helps you retain some foot health and dexterity. You can try rolling out your feet every day. This is something that we encourage all of our clients to do. We've linked that into a few of our podcasts. And we can link it into this one. It's quite simple. It's passive. It's pleasant. So we find that compliance is really high. (laughs) And it will help you upstream into your hips that's definitely something that we recommend our clients do especially right before a workout if you've been walking around in the snow with big boots on all day and then you want to go in and have a lift please make sure you do take care of those feet first because that can have a major impact on not just your workout but how you're going to feel after that too another thing that we recommend people do is walking around their house on tiptoes not all the time (laughs) That's not recommended, but just to help you retain some of your foot strength, walk around barefoot at home, try walking around on your tiptoes. This is helpful for balance as well. There are people who are 90 years old who can do this, who couldn't do this when we first started training them. It does carry over to our general life function, and it's important that you have dexterous and strong feet, and that's kind of a fun way of accomplishing it. This was advice that Freya recently gave to my aunt who is on her feet quite a bit she is a hairstylist and she was complaining of pain in her heel and upstream into i believe her hip and her shoulder even and so Frey said hey just uh, spend some time at home on your tiptoes when you're getting that pain and see how that helps and we got a text message from her two three days later maybe saying that it had helped massively just by walking around on her tiptoes in the morning so it's a great takeaway for anybody who has that kind of pain in their feet and upstream A lot of these things are just uh, little habits that you can do day to day that are like drops in a bucket. And if you are doing a little bit here and there every single day, it has a really big impact. And we'd rather you do that than, you know, do three sets of 10 at the gym twice a week. That won't have nearly as big of an impact. Frequency trumps intensity. 
So if we go even further upstream than the hips and low back, the other common thing that we see right around now is shoulders and neck. This won't surprise anyone. These are areas of the body that people generally hold a lot of tension in thanks to screens in large part or driving, working at a desk. They all contribute to a little bit of forward head carriage and shrugged shoulders. But in the winter, we just see that exacerbated. Whether we're bracing against the cold wind or whether we're looking down the whole time to try to manage our footing, it's just adding another layer of work that our head, our neck have to do. But consequently, this does go down to your low back as well. So anytime you put your head forward, you're increasing load at your low back. Everything in the body is intricately connected. So if we can help the dominoes sort of stack up a little bit better, then that's great. One of the key things here that's funny I'm laughing at is uh, not dressing adequately, which we did touch on in part one of our winter health podcast, is dressing a little bit more for a minus 20 degree day can help you reduce tension throughout your neck and your shoulders. The other side of things is making sure that you're keeping your breathing as calm as possible. When we're outside, when it's cold, when we have 40 kilometer winds, it's very easy to shrug up, look down and forward, and then also quicken our breathing rate. It's a, it's a natural stress response. So if you can at least keep your breathing as slow as possible and try to consciously relax your shoulders, you will have less chronic tension through those tissues. A lot of the tissues in your neck are considered excessive breathing tissues so they will help you raise everything up to get more chest breath but if you can think of breathing into your abdomen slowly even though you're in an uncomfortable outdoor situation that can be really helpful and I love that you use the word consciously because a big part of all of this is just being more conscious about what your body is doing day to day whether we're talking about uh, the movement pieces that we're discussing right now about your shoulders being shrugged up and your breathing or later on when we talk about some of your nutrition habits and that nature of things. The more conscious thought you give to your health, that's more than half the battle right there because then you're actually engaged in trying to do these things that are going to make you feel better. I think one of the key takeaways is with all these tension patterns that we're discussing, they are part and parcel with winter. When the weather hits and we have all these conditions come in, our physical reaction is relatively predictable, but it doesn't mean that we cannot consciously alter that. As soon as we're aware that, oh, my head and my neck are really hurting, it's because of the posture I adopt when I'm confronted with cold, you can affect change in that. Anytime we build awareness of where our innate reflexes are, we can start interjecting conscious control. Same with breathing, same with how we stride. We don't need to be thinking about it all the time, but once you've interjected conscious control and you practice that enough, it will become automated. In addition to these natural reflexes against the weather, it's important to note that now is even more important not to be looking down at your phone all the time. I know I sound like a little bit of a neg at this point, <laughs> but the number of people who are looking down at their phones in the cold is outstanding in Toronto, downtown Toronto in particular. It's really taxing on your head, your neck, your shoulders, and your low back. When you walk, it's important to swing your arms. This spares the low back. 
as soon as we're holding onto a phone and looking down, we're no longer gaining that benefit of kinetic energy through our arms. Not only that, we're creating even more tension through our neck and shoulders. And we're not even focused on our body because we're more focused on the content on our screen. I strongly encourage anybody who is currently walking around looking down at a phone that they put in their pocket and they allow their arms to swing. You'd be shocked at how much better your hips and your low back and then of course your head and shoulders feel by just adopting that one little habit. I laugh when Freya (laughs) speaks about people walking around looking down at their phones. Oftentimes I'll be walking on the sidewalk and somebody walking towards me head buried in their phone and if I don't move my path I am going to run right into them I'll shift out of the way the last moment but also give a little eyes up (laughs) and it's just really funny to see people get startled like what was that it's like it's just fascinating to me how people can get so engorged in their screens especially in the winter when footing isn't great so if we're going to recap the body stuff we encourage you to get out for small short stints of walking much of the stiffness we experience in the winter is just because we're not getting as much movement as we naturally do in warmer temperatures when you do walk make sure you're swinging your arms and you're looking up straight ahead try your best to dress as warmly as possible so that you don't have to tense all of your tissues against the cold And then in addition to that, spend as much time at home barefoot as possible. Walk around on your tiptoes, roll out your feet, possibly roll out your shoulders if that's appropriate for you, and then focus on nice slow breathing. Those are small daily habits that done frequently can have a really big impact on how your tissues behave in the cold. That is some excellent advice, Freya. Why, thank you. And then this takes us very nicely into some of the kind of nutritional and lifestyle habits that we can touch base on. So working with clients, some of the things that become quite noticeable is that in the wintertime, people become a little bit more prone to eating convenience foods and a little bit less prone to eating fresh fruits and vegetables. So we'll start there. Uh, That's probably the biggest thing is that overall diversity in the diet will go down in the wintertime here in the colder climates. Just because we really don't have a lot of quality fresh produce around, you'll find more root vegetables and that nature of things. But I mean, we're going to the grocery store now and the greens are almost always kind of rotten. They're just, they're not looking great. And I think that, I mean, that's obviously going to deter people from buying them. And so in the wintertime, we just tend to not get as many fruits and vegetables in the diet. And that is going to impair immune function to a degree because the more gut diversity you have, the stronger your immune system will be. This is something we touched base on with the doctors as well. So you can go back and listen to that podcast. But this dietary diversity is really key. One of the hacks or the habits that I speak to clients about is to purchase more frozen vegetables or frozen berries or frozen foods in the wintertime so that you can have a wider variety of vegetables. You don't have to rely on is seasonal produce going to be there and be not rotten at the store. From a digestion standpoint, a lot of people do better with cooked vegetables in the winter. So we're not saying that you have to buy the fresh stuff, especially because it's not as great quality in the winter. But digestibility-wise, a lot of people report feeling better with cooked veg. Absolutely. And that's what I love about frozen vegetables is I can just open up a bag, 
and steam them right away. So they're nice and hot. They're very palatable. You can add them to stir fries. You can eat them just totally plain with a little bit of salt. But it just makes it super easy to get a wider variety when you do rely on frozen veg. And in case you thought that frozen vegetables weren't as nutritious as fresh, that is a myth. So don't be deterred by the frozen vegetable section. And so on the flip side of that, what we find are people are more prone to eating convenience foods. So one of the biggest things I find is that clients will order more food in. Because again, if the weather's nasty outside, you know, you can just go on your your phone, press the app and get nearly anything delivered out. So we definitely find that people will be relying more on these convenience foods or restaurant foods in the wintertime, again, because they don't have access to the fresher foods or because they don't want to go outside and have to trek through the crappy weather. So that's just something that you want to be very conscious about. Ordering in restaurant foods, they're always going to load up their meals with high fat oils and generally vegetable oils that are not good for health. So you're going to be taking in more calories than you think, no matter where you're ordering from, whether it's a nice restaurant or a fast food restaurant, there's going to be added fats in that meal because every restaurant wants to make all their food as palatable as possible and as tasty as possible. So this is where we also find that even though we're not, we're not eating as much fresh food and we're taking in more calories and we're moving less, I think we can kind of see where this path goes in terms of not feeling great throughout those winter months, maybe gaining a little bit of weight that we don't want to. So one of the key habits to break this cycle of ordering too much food is, again, just really schedule in your food prep each and every week. Uh, this is going to make sure that you have that fresh food around so you're not relying on ordering in so much. When you plan ahead, you're not going to find yourself constantly trying to chase your tail and have your meals just be a second thought. Along with convenience food going up, I think Freya can attest to this as well, but we often find that caffeine intake will go up in the wintertime as well. Now, we think this is probably twofold or even three or fourfold. There's probably lots of reasons for it. But for one, days are shorter. Days are generally a bit more gray. People tend to have a little bit lower energy in the winter because of these environmental factors. And I'm going to touch base on that in a bit, but sticking with the caffeine for now, people will rely on this caffeine to get the energy to get through the day um, just because the sunlight isn't really there to provide that energy that we would be getting otherwise further to that coffee is warm and it counteracts the cold crappy weather outside and makes people feel nice and warm and cozy which we like in the winter and uh, nowadays you can get them sweetened with everything under the sun and not only that you can uber eats it or skip the dishes for a total of a 20 dollar latte yep it's gross. <laughs> it's funny you say the $20 latte because I am always fascinated by how expensive some of these drinks are when you hear other people ordering these things at Starbucks or yeah. wherever. It's yeah. wild. As a general rule, the fewer things you put in your coffee, the better that beverage is going to be for you. <laughs> Which I know every we know everybody knows that. It's more just being aware of um, when you're craving those energy pickups. That's usually when people go for them is when willpower is dwindling down, the days are gray. You maybe didn't get high quality sleep and that's when people will go for the sugar and caffeine. It's a wonderful combination, not for our health, but for a little bit of a kick in the afternoon. And that takes us perfectly right into the last point I wanted to make here is that if you are finding that cravings, whether it be for caffeine or convenience foods, sugar, if you're finding that these are increasing in the winter, this is almost always going to stem from something that's going on with your sleep patterns. So we spoke to the doctors about this on the previous podcast. 
about in the wintertime how people will want to sleep more. Uh, I would just like to reiterate that sleep needs do not increase in the winter because the days are shorter and we're getting less actual natural light outside. We can tend to feel a little bit more run down. Now, the big key here is consistency with sleep habits and with light. So when I talk about light, if you're getting these cravings, you're feeling a little run down in the wintertime, you can get a sad light. We mentioned these in the previous podcast, but a sad light, it's 10,000 lux for 20 minutes. Blast your face with light as soon as you wake up. Don't linger in bed and sit on your phone. Get out of bed. Get some bright light on your face. And then further to that, if you can move your body and then get outside once the sun is up and get some actual natural sunlight on your face, that combination right there of just getting that light early and then getting outside and moving your body, those are two things that are really going to cue your body to understand that it's still morning, it's still the same sleep habits I needed to have in the summertime. And even though the light is technically shorter, if you're doing these things, this is how you can keep your body on the clock you want it on so that you do get sleepy at the right time at night and then you're not staying up late, making you want to stay in bed extra long in the morning. This is even more important on weekends. Now, this problem isn't related just to winter. It happens in the summer to people too. But you can give yourself what we call social jet lag. When you stay up later on Friday and Saturday nights and sleep in Saturday, Sunday mornings, even just by two or three hours, You've essentially traveled two or three hour time zones and then you're coming back. So you're going to get a social jet lag and that's going to screw up your sleep habits into the week. So when you compound that with the shorter days in the winter, if you're not consistent with your wake times and your bedtimes and the amount of light and movement you're getting, your body can fall into a little bit of a funk. And so again, just relating this back to cravings, if you're getting cravings for sugar, if you're getting cravings for caffeine please look at your sleep cycle and look at when you're getting to bed, look at when you're getting up, look at how consistent you're being with this because that could resolve your problem entirely. And so if you're noticing that that is the issue, please just try and be consistent with uh, those times and going to bed and waking up and get some light on your face in the morning and get outside and move your body. Those are the big keys. And cut the caffeine intake afternoon. Always cut the caffeine and take afternoon. That is good advice for absolutely everybody. So just to quickly recap the nutrition side of things is we see people ordering in, eating more convenience foods. So food prep and just thinking ahead, planning ahead is going to nip that in the bud. Being willing and able to eat more frozen vegetables, frozen produce, frozen berries in the winter is going to help you with that gut diversity, which we see decline in the winter. Caffeine intake we see goes up, so just be very mindful of that. Cut it off in the afternoons. And then if you are noticing cravings, maybe you're gaining weight, this is when you want to look at those sleep patterns, when you're getting to bed, when you're waking up, and the amount of light and movement you're getting in the mornings. So with all that said, we're going to share a couple of the things that we do. And uh, for me, I normally am cycling a little bit more in the summertime. I still do the other activities like walking and swimming and animal flow and bodyweight exercises. And I've recently added in hoop, as we've mentioned on a past podcast. And in the wintertime, because cycling has to happen inside on a trainer and it's a far more static posture than outside, I don't do as much of it because it's a little bit more stressful on the joints to be in that stuck posture. So I do a lot more interval training in the wintertime. So shorter bursts. I certainly don't 
go ride on my bike for four hours inside because part of the purpose of riding for four hours in the summer is the adventure component. If I'm stuck in the living room, it's not super adventurous. So I find myself relying a little bit more on intervals. We still swim every week and then I have a higher proportion of my time dedicated to defrosting type movements that I don't necessarily need to employ in the summer. So I need a little bit more time spent on joint care in the winter and the fall months than I do in the summertime. So the ratios for me change. I still do all of the things, but the ratios and the intensity with which I do them change. How about you, Dane? Oh, well, I would say that winter doesn't affect me quite as much as it affects you. Uh, But the one thing I definitely notice are my feet. In the winter, uh, just from being outside, especially when it's icy or maybe it's it snowed and then it got matted down and then the sidewalks are all lumpy. And I just I notice I have to roll out my feet and my hips even more than I do in the summertime uh, just to make sure. Well, they get achy if I don't. And that can go even further upstream into my shoulders. So if I don't take care of those things, then that can affect my workouts, affect my sleep. And so I know I just have to really stay on top of my soft tissue and body care in the wintertime. On the nutrition side of things, I definitely eat more frozen vegetables. It's something I, I have to do. I typically will buy a lot more fresh spinach, for example, in the summertime. And I haven't bought fresh spinach now for weeks just because when I go to the store, I'm just not satisfied with the quality that I see there. So I'm definitely relying a lot more on frozen broccoli, frozen peas, and that nature of things, which is great because they're super easy. Take five minutes to steam and then I can throw them in the fridge and just pull them out for any meal that I want. So again, it's just having that forethought and it makes getting real food a lot easier. As you can tell, Dane is super picky. (laughs) It's the little things in life. (laughs) Yes. So for me in the winter, things are a little bit uh, trickier. Some of my autoimmune things flare up a lot more in the winter months than in the summer months. And so the sensitivities I have increase. For anybody out there who has mast cell activation syndrome or hypermobility syndrome or celiac they may find that as well not sure but these are the months where I find that I'm rotating foods a lot more I do avoid fruits in large part whereas I find that certain ones I can digest pretty well in the summertime which is fine they are less available anyway nowadays we have a lot more availability but in truth if we were living off of what was produced in our area we wouldn't have as many options so I do find that I eat far more root veg not potatoes but like sweet potatoes and squashes and those digest well and really it's about rotating so fewer fresh things but a lot more cooked vegetables and then playing it by ear based on which proteins my gut decides it can tolerate on any given day yeah I think I've definitely eaten more squash and pumpkin this the last few months than in my life I think and they're very, very delicious things that I have <laughs> rediscovered after all this time. And uh, bone broth. Bone broth is also great for your gut in the uh, wintertime. Yeah, bone broth, there are a number of different companies that make bone broths out there. I would encourage anybody to make their own if they have yes. the patience, just because you can control what's in it. And reducing preservatives is really important when it comes to digestibility. Most foods are 
better for you if they don't have any preservatives or any processing involved. So if you get a commercial bone broth, but it's been processed and it's got stabilizers in it, it does defeat the purpose. And for me, it's just, I, I rely a little bit more heavily on liquid nutrition throughout the winter due to digestibility. And bone broth is one of the ones that I have found uh, is relatively well, well, sorry, is very well tolerated, particularly when uh, the system is flared up. Yeah, absolutely. Make your own if you can, or make sure you are, you know where you're sourcing your, your bone broth from. And finally, Freya. Yes, Dame. <laughs> what book are you reading right now? Well, I'm reading five books right now. As is Nerd alert. No, that's just normal. <laughs> I like collecting information and digesting it. So I give myself breaks from different ones. So I like to rotate. There are certain ones I'll read in the morning. And right now my morning reads, I am reading Matt Sells United that was just released in 2019 that I would have paid really good money for. Uh, when I was 16 and trying to figure out a lot of my digestion problems. Uh, so that's a good read for anybody who has EDS, uh, hypermobility spectrum disorder, or mast cell activation syndrome. It's a very interesting read. Obviously, there's still a lot of ongoing research. We don't know much, but if uh, any of those things resonate with you, it's great. If you're a practitioner who works with very sensitive systems, I highly recommend it. The other one I'm reading that is a nighttime read, just to give you guys a contrast, is called At Rest. So At Rest is a book that was given to me as a potentially a gentle hint to get more of it. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> but it discusses the top 10 things that people find most restful. And I believe the study that the book was based off of had 18,000 people. I could be misquoting that. 18,000 is, is one of the numbers. <laughs> they did the rest test and they studied what people found most restful. And then it goes through the top 10 list. And I'm going to spoil. Can I do a spoiler alert? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert is that the most restful thing reported by most people uh, was reading a book. Huh. So there you have it. Neat. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why I often listen to books. Take the reading part go. right out of it. <laughs> that's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, th I actually recently uh, just finished reading slash listening to The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Uh, which is a fantastic book. I would recommend that to everyone. It really gives some great insight into the f food industry and where your food comes from. And I think everyone kind of needs that information. So if you get a chance, please read that. And on my bedside table right now, I'm looking at it, is Peak by Dr. Mark Bubbs, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago. And Peak has been great so far. It's a nice book because you can basically jump to any section. You don't have to read it straight through. You can jump to whatever section appeals to you and take the information and apply it to your daily life. It's full of, uh, it's full of great research to help you with your health and performance. Fantastic. And so I think that's it for today. Anything else, Freya? No, that is it. Excellent. Well, we're going to get out of here and get on some food prep so we can get ahead of ourselves this week. And we will catch you next time on the Move Daily Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.